This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? I know the answer to that because literally five seconds ago we were still talking to each other about Jermaine Pennant and Carol Vorder. I'm, I'm still tickety-boo. Uh, I've got uh, I've got Finlay uh, sat next to me, oh. turned upside down with his chin in the air. Uh, and uh, I think the dogs have probably got it about right when it comes to <laughs> enjoying life. Oh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd quite like to be upside down myself now, Kira, with my chin in the air. We bring you another of our special interview pods. Uh, and this one is a particularly interesting insight with a young man who's a Lincoln City fan, name of Charlie Beeston, uh, who's registered blind. And he got in touch with us a few weeks ago to ask whether we would be interested in sharing his experience uh, of going to football, um, and in particular, the financial aspects of it. To be honest, Kieran, a lot of what we talk about to Charlie isn't about finances, but I think it's still very important that we talk about this issue. So, and this is what Charlie had to say. Charlie, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we start to talk about your experience as a, a, a visually impaired football fan, Charlie, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what team you support. Yeah, so um, I... My name's Charlie, you know, I'm a 19-year-old fan. Um, I'm a Lincoln City fan. So currently in League One, um, but I also do a lot of traveling for football. I'm a, I'm a bit of a ground hopper, um, trying to trying to get through the ninety two, um, slowly but surely. You know, whenever whenever the bank balance allows it, really. <laughs> um, but you know, last season I did every Lincoln game home and away. Um, so I'd, I'd like to think that I've got a sort of a decent bank of experiences that I can very much talk from. Is it possible, Charlie, to describe to us the extent of your sight loss? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm i registered as, as severely sight impaired stroke blind, which right. is sort of the, the top level, if you like. Um, so yeah, I get the top award for blindness. No. Um, <laughs> and I've got, I've got some vision, but not enough to be able to watch the football games from the stands. So right. I love going to games. I absolutely love it, you know. I'll do all of that, but I can't actually see the football. Um, so yeah, I, I've got I've got some vision, but not enough for that. 
And I, I have to say, Charlie, to my shame, before I started researching this properly, um, which I only did after talking to a, a young lad called Matthew and his dad at Plymouth recently. Um, sorry, I keep calling him dad. Dad. I, I, I only caught Matthew's name. Um, they were both blind. They told us a little bit about their experience. So I did some research. I didn't realize there were so many different types of blindness, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. And and sometimes what will work for one blind fan might not be good for another. For example, Matthew told me that they use um, monoculars uh, mm-hmm. to try and concentrate and focus their vision. And the glare from electronic scoreboards can really affect those. Yeah. But there are other blind people who are not affected at all by electronic scoreboards. So there, there is, whatever we talk about today, there is no one-size-fits-all solution to this problem, is there? No, there isn't. Um, for, for example, even just even kind of picking up there with the use of monoculars, I've I've had a monocular for you know all my life. I, that was one of the very first things I I sort of got given, if you like. Um, but the problem is, is I struggle to use them because trying to follow a fast-paced game such as football, I really struggle to the length that I have to zoom in at with my monocular to actually be able to follow it. Right. Okay. Um, so and and also things like the electronic scoreboard glare that would also affect me. Right. So, you know, even within that, there's already one similarity and one difference um, in that in those sort of two stories, if you like. And, and the monocular is a kind of mini telescope, is that right? Yeah, yeah, basically. It's, a, it's just a pair of binoculars, but half. Um, oh, okay. So <laughs> it's, as, a, as a blind fan, Charlie, is there a, a typical match day experience or are they all very different? They're all very different. I think it would be a lot better and easier if there was just one simple match day experience because sure. i i very much try to take my sort of my match day um i want to experience the match day and it's sort of how i've always lived my life i want to live my life as a sighted person would but just with lack of sight yeah so i want to do the full match day experience i like to find myself in the bar before the game um I like to I like to travel with with people on the train or on the coach or whatever it may be, and just like to do everything that everybody else would do. Although I don't really buy a program and read that for the obvious reason. <laughs> right. um, but then it's when you're obviously in the ground. There are there are sort of different sort of well, loads of different experiences, different ways that different clubs do things. But I myself have to use the audio description commentary, which I'm sure we'll come on to. We will, yeah. Um, but that so my match day experience is very much centered around a do they have it b where and when can i get to it do i need to be in my seat early and the problem is sometimes if for example you have to be in your seat early and they say oh we'll bring it to your seat well that's all well and good but if i've got to then be in my seat 45 minutes before kickoff i'm then missing out on that well yeah i call it the valuable <laughs> drinking time you know the, the, so, the socializing in the pub seeing how many more i can get in before three o'clock or five to three you know so it's it's really trying to kind of balance between those things. So, like I say, it's, it's never one one and the same. I, you mentioned programs there, Charlie. Again, it's one of those things. I, I suppose because they're becoming less popular, it didn't occur to me. Do you ever get offered a di- a, a digital program? Is there a way for you to access the program content without actually having to get a physical copy? Again, that very much depends on sort of club by club. Um, some will have digital copies. Some, some obviously just don't have programs at all anymore. Um, some, some only have paper ones. Um, so, to be honest, it's not ever really even been something I've been that bothered about. Right. Um, but 
because I, I follow most of the sort of content that I, I look at, I can just do online anyway. There's sure. very little nowadays that's program specific. So I don't find I'm missing out, but there, there really isn't that many options for programs for those that would like to use it, which is obviously a bit of a shame, but um, I guess the cost and time element that would have to go into that on top of the cost and time element of programs anyway at the minute is, uh, yeah, that I guess that can sort of be a reason why it isn't happening. You, you talk about getting to the games, Charlie. The RNIB in their uh, guidelines uh, for clubs trying to improve the experience for visually impaired fan, they talk about the journey sequence for blind fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, the getting there um, and the getting out. Um, so there are obviously difficulties outside the ground. Matthew and Plymouth told us, for example, that quite often you'll come out of a game, an away game, and the coaches have been moved and no one will tell the blind fans. So yep. it, it, it's not just – I think a lot of us can imagine the experience inside the ground, but it, it would never occur to us your problems actually getting into the ground and getting out. And of course there are extra costs involved for, for blind people because you can't drive yourself to game. So you have to use public transport, which as we know can be ruinously expensive. Yeah, very much so. Um, there was a, there was a few times, like I said, last, last year I had sort of set myself the challenge not to miss a Lincoln game. And there were some occasions um, that were very very costly of me trying to get to a game um primarily through the uh, decisions of the rmt union but that's a whole different conversation um but yeah there were a lot of sort of difficulties because like you say it isn't just as easy as jumping in the car and driving somewhere in terms of in terms of traveling i'm i would call myself quite lucky because i'm quite confident Right. If I'm stood outside of a ground and I don't know where on earth I'm going, I, I'm more than happy just to ask somebody. But I understand that isn't always the mindset that everybody will have, whether they've got a disability or not. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there'll be many times where yourself, you, you've come out of the ground and suddenly you've, you've come out a different door to what you came in because they funnel you all through a gate to leave and suddenly then you don't know where on earth you are. So it's, yeah, it, it, isn't, it isn't easy. And I think... Like you, like you sort of mentioned about the coaches being moved and such like that. I think one of the big things there is just simply about communication. It's one of the key things I'll always kind of bang on about is things are so much easier if people talk to each other and people are told things. Um, and obviously that isn't always the case, which then makes it considerably harder for for those blind fans. I, I do have that experience of coming out of the ground confused, Charlie, but to be fair, it's normally alcohol-related, I have to say. But even, well, even, same for me, but I just yeah, have to pretend that it's the blindness. <laughs> <laughs> but even, even simple things like Kieran and I have talked about this before in a kind of nostalgic way. It's like, it, it, you know, as a, as a sighted fan, if you go to a new uh, a new ground, a ground you've not been to before, and it's an evening game, you follow the floodlights. It's it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. But that's that's not an option, obviously, for you, is it? No, not really. So it's um, it's really trying to make sure that obviously maybe you're following a crowd or something, but yeah. sometimes sometimes you end up doing that and you end up in the wrong direction. I've, that's happened to me a couple of times where I've sort of started following some people, then realise I'm going the total wrong way and uh, turn around. But I think nowadays with the what's really good is obviously the kind of enhancement of even things like Google Maps, being able to put your directions on, stick an AirPod in and just have that talking to you, telling you exactly where to go. Okay, right. Because yeah, because you don't want to accidentally end up at a take that tribute concert, do you? 
just by following the crowd. The, Definitely don't. The, 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 it, if you read the guidelines of the FA, the Premier League, and the Football League, which Kieran and I do for various reasons, they all speak. <laughs> they all speak nice words about inclusivity <laughs> for blind and disabled fans, but they actually say very little about what the minimum requirements are for blind and disabled fans. Mm-hmm. Does that explain why facilities can vary wildly at different clubs? Yeah, you've very much kind of hit the nail on the head there. That is exactly the thing. Um, for example, when the when the white paper came out, um, and obviously I, I know in the white paper there's so much good in there, yeah. but the sort of section 16, you know, the EDI section, equality, diversity and inclusion, it was basically summed up by one sentence of, you know, we fully support the club's efforts in improving yeah. EDI. Yeah. And it, there was nothing really specific in there. And that's that's all well and good because a lot of clubs are doing some really good things, but a lot of clubs are also really missing the mark or not even trying that much or uh, just are always saying, oh, well, it's too costly. We can't do it for this reason. We can't do it for that reason without actually looking for alternatives. So because it's so kind of dispersed the the different kind of help and support out there, obviously you've got things like level playing field that try to centralise it all. But then they also require the support of clubs to do that. Um, so it, there's really not one centralised system yet, which you know sometimes might be a good thing, might be a bad thing, whatever. But there's there's definitely a lot of work that needs to be done from a higher up authority to sort of implement obligations on clubs. Otherwise, they'll just they'll not bother because they don't think they need to. <clears throat> or they'll pay lip service to it because mm. they want to look like they're doing the right thing. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> you say, Charlie, that money is a factor, um, and I understand that we often hear from from CEOs at clubs who don't like us to mention their names in this situation. That it, it you know, for, to provide proper space for fans in wheelchairs, for example, they mm-hmm. will have to lose four seats, which is losing <clears throat> four seats that, that they, they're not selling. But it occurs to me yep. that uh, a cost shouldn't matter. Uh, uh, any other business wouldn't be able to say we'd love to provide access for visually impaired and, and disabled people, but we can't afford to legally. That's not an, an excuse. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, how much does it cost, for the love of God, to, to to help a blind fan comfortably watch a football match? It can't be that much. It can't be that much, surely. You'd like to think that. You know, you you really would, and. I guess in a sort of an ideal world, things like getting to their seat, all that takes is somebody who works at the club or a volunteer, a steward or something like that. It might take them a minute just to go and guide this blind fan to their seat, for example. And uh, that should be a minimum requirement. But the problem is, is it isn't, you know, and uh, sometimes, you know, you know, from the, different you, you get lots of different experiences from different stewards don't you um yeah so you never you never quite know but it's even things like having those conversations in their training or in their briefing i um i spoke with a steward and obviously i, I like i said i use the audio description commentary at grounds and i hand it back to stewards at the end of the game because that's often what's asked so then they can go and deliver it back to the steward hut or whatever and so many times they'll just turn around and say, well, what's that? Where's that need to go? Well, I don't yeah. know what this is. And the thing is, is that's just one sentence in the briefing before the game that the steward should should be told. But it's those little things that are so mi- often missed out. 
disabled fans and blind fans can sort of just be an afterthought, you know, especially, like I say, especially sort of fans with sensory impairments like blind, deaf, things like that. Because when somebody says, oh, a disabled fan, the first immediate thought is obviously always those in wheelchairs. Yeah. But there's so such a wider spectrum of that that needs to also be considered. And the fact it is often an afterthought makes for some quite difficult experiences. So when you're going to an away game, Charlie, do, mm-hmm. do you have to do, like, like quite often if I, if I get a train to Victoria or London Bridge, uh, I know that a friend of mine is in a wheelchair. If she's doing the same thing, she has to phone up so there's somebody to meet her with a ramp off the train because shamefully not all stations are, are level access. So do you have to phone up an away game? If you're going to a new ground, do you have to phone up and say, my name's Charlie Beeston, this is my visual impairment, I need to collect headphones, and then you expect a steward to be there to meet you, or do you, is this all done on an ad hoc basis when you get there? It can very much depend. Um, most of them, I will, I will call up or email in in the first place. Obviously, that's if they've even got got the headsets. Um, I don't necessarily need a sort of steward to show me where where to go per se, because normally, you know, I, I'm in a group off the train or off the coach or whatever that might be. So that's normally not too much of an issue for me. But actually, getting the headsets, it's I will always call up or email because some want you to collect it from reception. Some want you to collect it from uh, the, uh, the away gate. Some want you to get it delivered to your seat. And they all have different systems. So it's often about having to research on the on the club website. And often that has very, very small amounts of information of just sort of one sentence. And then I've got to call up or email from there. Um, but it's all about, obviously, just a lack of information being available at a at an easy push of a button, unfortunately, to make you then have to go out your way and make these phone calls and such like that. Yeah, so you have to do a lot more work than Kieran mm. and I would have to do, for example, researching a new way. And, and can you dispel a myth? I, I'm still amazed by how many uh, football fans you speak to who's, who assume that all disabled and sight-impaired fans get in for nothing. <laughs> Can, can, can you dispel that myth for us? I would absolutely love it if that was the case. Yeah. Um, no, you, you don't get it for free. What you what you can get is a free carer's ticket. Right. Um, that is something you can get. So for when you get your ticket, you can then also have a sort of free personal assistant ticket for some for somebody who takes you to the game, for example. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you only get that for for in the game you don't get that for your train journeys as yeah. well and such like that so no it it would i would definitely prefer it if i could get in for free but uh no that's not an option unfortunately and, and before because i'm really interested to talk about the actual 90 minute uh, watching the game experience mm-hmm. are all clubs guide dog friendly so from from what i can gather is that i believe they have to so I, I don't have a guide dog myself, but I know of some people that do. Now, I know that uh, us at Lincoln City, we very much are. We've got uh, There's at least one guide dog that comes every game, and he's always got his specific seat and such and a, a little bit of space next to him for the, for the guide dog. I'm not 100% sure on what it's like for away fans, you know, when you're, when you're going to an away ground, whether they're all guide dog friendly, but I would like to assume that they have to, but at the same time, I really, I'm not 100% sure on that one. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Okay, since I, we, we should do some research on that as well, because I, I know, I know at Palace, for example, my club, they're they're very proud of the fact that there are there are drinking bowls for guide dogs, no. but beyond that, I'm not entirely sure what because you know, ours is a very old ground, and that's often mm. an excuse that Palace uses, I'm afraid, and it's an excuse a lot of other clubs use as well yeah. with, in older grounds. That well, once we get our new stand or once we get our new ground, all this will be resolved, but. That, that's going to take a lot, a long time. Yeah. Um, th- there is one more thing again before we talk about the actual game itself, uh, and this is something else I noticed in the RNIB thing. And again, it's something that wouldn't occur to me. Uh, I mean, how in terms of signage, for example, emergency exits, or not having lights that throw dark shadows, which can disorient some visually impaired fans. Do do clubs take these things? Seriously, or again, is it just something they will do with the bare minimum they have to do? I think it's again, it's another one of these things where it's an afterthought, right. and often it has to be has to actually be brought up to the club. And obviously, then when it's brought up to the club, it it's obviously very much club by club based as to what they um, what they actually what they actually do. Um, I know again, sort of speaking from experience at Lincoln, they ended up um, sort of repainting all the yellow markings on all the steps and such. Um, at the start of last season and from what i can gather they've not been worn down at all over the season so that that, that'll last for another year or two but i've been to some away grounds where you there's really there's really not much it's very kind of eroded um you've got sort of like i say you know the yellow markings on steps might may have gone the signage can just be sort of eroded and just very kind of plain and simple and um you know, and and that's and as you said, they can very much use the excuse of old stadiums and things like that. But it's just the fact that it's the fact that it has to be brought up to them and doesn't have to just be brought up, but often has to be pushed on a club, right. um, which is kind of the the sad part of it, I guess. But sh- shouldn't there be, in terms of emergency exits, uh, there may be at some clubs. I've certainly never noticed them. Shouldn't there be some kind of cobble effect, like a giant braille thing for blind fans to follow paths? With their feet, or is that uh, pie in the sky? I I've never noticed it myself. Right. Um, I've never noticed it be a thing. Um, okay, and we, you know it's dangerous, I guess, really, when you think about it, because I I'm somebody who because I can't see no matter where I sit, I often try 
when I'm at away games, for example, go up to the back and such like that. So, you know, if anything did happen, then you never quite know um, what, you know, if the people would be able to find their way out that easily, if there's not really the um, opportunities there to, to be able to find your way. Well, actually, where you sit brings us nicely onto uh, the actual game experience. <laughs> do do all grounds have specific audio commentary, and you get a specialised commentator, or are you just tuned into local radio? Because I know there can be an issue. I mean, if you're just listening to local radio. Mm-hmm. they're not describing the action all the time are they they're giving stats and talking about old players and you need somebody to describe the action for the whole time the ball's in play presumably yeah very much so so um not not all clubs have specific so the specific is the audio description commentary and there are some clubs that have it and there are a couple of sort of uh, companies that can provide it and that is specific commentators normally normally two um, who they they really give a lot more kind of in-depth analysis. So instead of, for example, saying that it will go a palace, say, instead of saying that Wilfred Zaha is running with the ball, um, they would be saying Wilfred Zaha's running on the right wing about 10 yards from the touchline, about 15 yards on the byline. Okay, right. And they will be giving you specific information as to where the ball is. And obviously sometimes it's a really fast-paced game. So they may just suddenly... Uh, stop, let's say the ball's bouncing around the box, suddenly they'll just stop and, sh- and say goal or shout goal. And then in that kind of period when, now, when the ball's are out of play and once people have settled down from the celebrating, they'll then just re- go back and talk back through the goal. Okay. So you're able to know everything that's going on in an instant and then be told about everything that has been happening in the, in the past. Um, you sort of mentioned the normal radio commentaries as well. The radio commentaries can be can be pretty useless for somebody uh, with sight problems because, it, it, like you say, it really doesn't describe what's actually going on that well. You might find out every now and again that a player's got the ball and that's about it. You, it's, it's really lacking. And some there are some grounds, in fact, there's probably quite a few still, quite a few clubs that still use this system. Um, for example, I was at, I was at Newcastle um, last summer, just trying to tick off a game, and it was the Newcastle Man City three or draw last summer. Cracking right. game it was. Yeah, and uh, you know the atmosphere was brilliant, but the problem was, I got told audio description commentary would be delivered to my seat. So perfect, I I was in my seat half an hour before the game, and uh, they this I got delivered a big massive DAB radio. Oh, uh, that was just connected to BBC Radio. Newcastle or whatever it was. But the problem was is that also didn't even get delivered until 30 minutes after kickoff. Oh, for, really? So so I've lost 30 minutes. I've then got that. And quite frankly, I, I don't get me wrong, I still had a cracking day because of the atmosphere, but I didn't have that much information as to what was actually happening on the in the game. And yeah. I think by that point, three goals had already been scored. So Yes, it's in the in the very early days of BBC radio commentary, in the late twenties, early thirties which they used to do from a shed literally next to the pitch, they would have a blind fan in there with them. Um, and if the blind fan said he couldn't understand what was going on, they would change the commentator, basically, which seems as... So, Kieran, I don't know if you can answer this question, Kieran, at short notice, but um, I think one of the companies that Charlie mentioned uh, that specialise in audio commentary is called Soccer Sight. Mm-hmm. Do you know who would be... Who would pay for that, Kieran? Is, is the club paying for that? Are they getting grants or funds for that because 
again, it occurs to me, it, it can't cost, certainly a Premier League club, it can't cost them that much to provide a specialist audio commentary, can it? I'm, I'm not aware of how the funding works with regards to that. You would imagine it would be centrally sorted, either by the EFL or the Premier League. Yeah, they do have a responsibility. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I, not. Um, okay. So I, I can talk from kind of Lincoln's experience when we when we had to do it. We actually had to fundraise as fans to get the system in place. Really? Yes. Yes. Um, it was. Uh, I, th- I think we had to fundraise four thousand uh, pounds. I'm not 100 percent sure if that was for the full lot, of, if that was slightly right. subsidised. Um, um, and that gets you sort of ten headsets in the system put in place. So yeah, for for us, we actually had to. Um, sort of have the fans fundraise for it. I don't believe there's any kind of a central fund. That's awful. Yes. That's scandalous. Yeah. yeah. I, I suppose, Kieran, as well, being cynical, which we try not to be on this show, occasionally, <laughs> uh, clubs will probably say behind closed doors, look, we have, what, 20, 20 visually impaired fans at most, I suppose, a game. Is it worth spending that much money? And the answer, of course, from our point of view is, is yes, but Charlie, I mean, do you think, is that a problem? Do you think that there simply aren't that many visually impaired fans who who go to games? Potentially, but then at the same time, it's sort of the what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Why would the fan, why would the visually impaired fans necessarily want to go to the game if they don't know what's happening in the game? Yeah, of course. So there's there's very much been, um, we, we've had a few new fans. Like I said, we, the, our audio description commentary system came in about two years ago. And uh, we've had some fans that have specifically said that they're now coming to the games and actually got a season ticket after just doing the ad hoc matches. Have now got a season ticket and coming okay. because of the audio description. So a lot of it is, or you know, blind fans don't want to do it because they're maybe scared, not confident, not too sure as to what it is that the experience they're going to get if they can't see the game. But if they then have one positive experience, they then come and then they might bring a friend and then suddenly it snowballs. Just, I'd be very interested in your answer to this next question, uh, Charlie, because it's something that Matthew in Plymouth raised to me. Can you, can you sit with mates and still get the commentary or do you have to go to a special area? Because Matthew says there are several times and it drives him up the wall where he'll go to an away game. He's bought tickets in the away end with the Plymouth fans, but then he'll be guided to a special disability area anyway, which he doesn't want to be in. He wants to be with his mates. Is that your experience as well? It, it has It has been a couple of times. Um, so, for example, uh, Cambridge away last season. Now, Cambridge, have a they have an audio commentary system, and it's okay. But I don't know if you've ever been to Cambridge's ground, the yeah. Abbey. Um, at, in the away end, you've got sort of some, obviously you've got to go up a few steps to actually get into the seating from ground level. And there are a few sort of disabled wheelchair spots at the front. And they say, oh, yeah, if you want to use your audio, that's fine. You can use it in the stand. Oh, but you might not get good signal if you go up the steps and actually sit with everybody else. You might have to sit in the wheelchair right. bits. Right. It's like, well, my, my issue is, is like, like I said earlier, I like going for the match day experience just as much as anybody else. So I went and sat up in the stand and it was very sort of staticky and I couldn't really hear it that well anyway. Um, there was also Bristol Rovers. We spoke with them beforehand. They don't necessarily have audio description commentary, but they've got hospital radio, which a they have a 
a home blind fan that also sort of sits in and listens to when they say it's okay. really good. So they invited, so they said, oh, you can listen to that. I'm like, okay, brilliant. So we get to the ground and I, I say, oh, can I have the headset? And they took me up to go meet the radio presenter doing it. And he says, right, so sit, sit where you'd like to sit. And this is up in the sort of media sort of pen of the stand. And he says, oh, well, you just take a seat wherever here. I said, oh, do I not get to go down and sit with our fans? Yeah. Oh, no, you won't get the signal over there. You'll have to sit here. <sighs> we actually have to plug it directly in. And I, I On that day, I just chose to actually just go and sit in the away fans. Right. Because to me, the match day, I, I went to Lincoln Games for five years before even being able to have audio description commentary. Right. So I can I can get I can sort of go and it not matter to me too much. But there are some people who are going to much prefer to be able to listen to it. And then you don't want to lose that match day experience. So it's a it's a really hard kind of balancing act. Um, mm. And one that realistically somebody shouldn't be some shouldn't be asked to sacrifice one or the other. Of course I would <laughs> I've got two more questions for you, Charlie, but b- before I ask them, um, if there are anybody listening, or if there is anybody listening from um, clubs like Cambridge or Bristol Rovers or at that level, and they want to get in touch and tell us their experience of trying to provide facilities for disabled and visually impaired fans, we'd, we'd love to hear from them. We'd, we'd love to hear the reasons why you can't provide a proper match day experience for people like Charlie, the penultimate question for you, Charlie, the RNIB, um, and I, th- I thought that was a really useful document to research, actually, in their, their guidelines for mm-hmm. clubs. But they said at the end of it that there is no such thing yet as a perfect club for blind fans. What needs to be done to improve your match day experience, which in the final analysis is an experience you spend a lot of money on? I mean, you're spending the same amount of money, if not more, than people like myself and Kieran, and you deserved at the very least to be treated like people like myself and Kieran, surely. I think it all just stems down to if if some if a club wants to be perfect, it has to listen to the fans. Right. And that's not that's not just about about this, that's about every every sort of line of football as as you know, as you know. But I think a lot of it is setting up groups, really finding out what is needed in those for those particular clubs. Because we've obviously spoken about some stadiums are much better suited to uh, sort of disabled fans than others. Um, but it's for, for me personally, it's about having a really good audio description commentary system. It's about proper properly advertising. Where is it? What? Where do we need to pick it up? It's about having all the all of the stewards know and understand. It's about um, it, it's about everybody that's going to be stood around that away end that works for that home club, being able to say, "Look, here is where you need to go to get this." We know exactly. We don't need to st- sit there and spend half an hour on the phone trying to figure out what on earth it even is that you're asking for, mm. because that's happened many a times. I've been stood really? in. Um, stadium receptions for almost an hour once um just waiting for them to a figure out what it was i'm asking for and b then go ahead and get it so there are there are some really really sort of poor experiences don't get me wrong there are some also really good ones um but i think it all kind of stems down to just communications we're at lincoln we're um i'm currently in the process of setting up a disabled supporters association it's something that we haven't 
we've not had yet. Um, So we're currently in the process of setting that up. And I think every club should have that or something similar, just somewhere where feedback can be heard and also actioned upon. And I think that's the big thing. It's like you say, it's not just empty lip service. It's actually actioning upon what is spoken about. Um, And in in all fairness, you know, Lincoln are very, really, really good for that. Yeah. The, um, DSA at, at Palace are very vocal, but as they point mm. out, they they have to be very yes. vocal. And and I think as well there is a there is an issue that as clubs get promoted, uh, as they get uh, excited by being in the Championship and the Premier League and the amount of money they can make out of that, they sometimes at a higher level lose even more sense of their responsibility to disabled and visually impaired fans. Just before I ask you the final question, uh, we mentioned. <laughs> Fans, I mean, do you have a message for for other fans? In general, do you find fans at clubs you visit uh, supportive, helpful, understanding of your problems, or do you, do you just get treated like any other away fan? Yeah, but most um, most fans are, are genuinely really good. Um, I, like I say, I'm, I'm more than happily confident enough to go ahead and speak to people. Yeah. So I've mostly had good experiences i can't necessarily think of a particular bad experience um but at the same time it's of it's i guess it's also the same in every kind of warp of life not just football fans of you you never quite know who you're approaching if you're going to go ask somebody for a bit of support so um but i don't think somebody should ever be dissuade especially when they're in and around football because yes all right you might be a fan of a particular club but most people are just football fans at heart and they don't actually mind other football fans too much. They might say they do, but it's uh, it's not normally too tribal when somebody's just asking for a bit of help. Now, and finally, Charlie, you're doing uh, the 92, uh, which is great. Have you been to uh, Sellers Park or a particular grounds uh, on the south coast, which I don't like to mention the name <laughs> of yet? Uh... So Selhurst Park, I've not been yet. It's, it's just a bit of a nightmare to try and get tickets for, um, okay. as, as it is with most Premier League grounds. I uh, had to get memberships for some of them last year. So uh-huh. um, yeah, no, and, and the same with the same with uh, Brighton. I've not I've not had the chance to to get a ticket to them. It's it's often just a nightmare, especially when you try and fit it in and around other Lincoln games and such. Then you're of just course. looking at only the games on Sundays and Fridays and Mondays. And the problem is, is they're the big games typically. So it's uh, yeah, no, it can be a bit of a nightmare. Well, I'll tell you what, Charlie, I could probably help get you a ticket for a game at Sellers Park. And when you do come to Sellers Park, I will happily uh, buy you a drink in the Porson's Arms. And I'm sure if you do go to the Amex, Kieran will happily buy you a bowl of quinoa somewhere <laughs> in, a, in a, a bistro near the Amex. I suspect you'd rather have the pint. I was going to say, they're, they're very nice offers, but I think I'd prefer the Porson Arms at that. <laughs> uh, Charlie, again... <laughs> I say this quite often to people we interview. I really wish we didn't have to interview you, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. If you and I, I mean that in the nicest possible way, but I'd really like to thank you for talking to us because you've given us um, an incredible amount of insight. I'd like to thank as well Matthew and his dad at Plymouth who who kind of helped as well. And I just just to make an appeal to clubs listening to this, just make a bit more of an effort. It's not going to cost you that much to help football mad fans like Charlie get in and out of your ground safely and, and enjoy the match day experience. But it's been really good of you to talk to us, Charlie, and um, we'd love to hear more about what happens with your Disabled Supporters Association at Lincoln in future. Uh, no, honestly, thank you very much for um, helping to kind of publicise the issues because, like I say, sometimes it just isn't spoken about enough and that's not a, not a good thing. So, honestly, thank you.
Kieran, before we talk about Charlie, I want to say thank you to those two fans we met at, at Plymouth Argyle on our live show. Um, they were both blind, father and son. And I finally remembered Dad's name. I'll keep referring to him as, as Matthew. So Matthew was the younger fan at Plymouth. His dad was, was Dominic. Um, and they were kind enough to give me some some extra thoughts maybe to put to Charlie. And, and I have to say, Kieran, I'm almost ashamed of how much I learnt about the experience of going to uh, football when you're visually impaired. But also the idea that at Lincoln City they had to crowdfund £4,000 to provide uh, a, a, an audio commentary for blind fans. It's, it's, I mean, it's 4000 quid, Kieran, which is it's a lot of money to an individual, but to football, it's not. There should be some – somebody should be paying for this, Kieran, other than the fans, surely. Yeah, I'll have to excuse my own ignorance. Yeah, I, I assumed that the, the Premier League, which does an awful lot of good, yeah, as yeah. does the EFL, you know, and, and we might, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to slag them off. Um, I, I, I was absolutely staggered to to hear Charlie's comments, and you know, there's all of this talk about the wealth in the game, and uh, you know, we, we regularly get to to learn or the rumours about the level of wages in it for executives, for players, transfer fees, the amount of money that's shuffled around from from owners. Um, to, to learn that there isn't support for people who are visually impaired and blind um, is, uh, is, is gobsmacking. Although I'm not necessarily that surprised because mm. – um, and and you know on a scale of you know to be to have to be blind to be visually impaired is you know, if we say that's ten. My issue with being colourblind is probably about a half mm. compared to to the, the uh, you know the, the, in terms of disruption to life. Uh, but the, I know the responses we've had in the colourblind world in the last forty eight hours with regards to colourblind issues. We've seen some of the new kits that are coming out yeah. has effectively begun. Swivel guys, we, and it's it's a typical. If we do take into consideration, no, you don't. You, you know the, the Premier League's uh, just just taking the Mickey here. But uh, Charlie was a fantastic guest, uh, and yeah, I, I learned a lot. Um, and also, I think clubs can learn a lot as well. Uh, you know, just some of the things such as just making the sure that the the stewards are switched on. Yeah, yeah or trained to. Properly. Yeah, of yeah, course, of yeah. course, yeah. And, and yeah, I know that being a football steward isn't isn't the most glamorous of job but uh, and and there are many many brilliant stewards out there but just to give people especially yeah, if, if you realize very quickly that somebody is visually impaired or blind um then you just do a little bit of, of background uh even if you can't remember the exact instructions and you make sure that uh, they have a good and i don't like this phrase a good match day experience because mm. Char- charlie goes to football for the same reason as we do he loves the game he loves the atmosphere um and yeah, the fact that he and yeah, I think if people have been a bit sneery, just go to the experience. The next time, next time you go to a game, close your eyes for ninety minutes yeah. and experience what he has to go through. Um, and there's no bitterness. The fact that he's uh, you know he, he's he's taken on uh, the challenges that he has with with good grace. And you know, for a, for a lad of nineteen, he's he's a fantastic kid as well. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that blind people would say closing your eyes doesn't actually fully. Uh, uh, what's the word, simulate the experience yeah, yeah, of being yeah, visually comment. impaired. But you're, you're absolutely right. And interestingly enough, what you say about colour blindness as well is that one of the things Matthew and Dominic told me and I couldn't find a way of raising was that, you know, as, as we discussed in the interview, and again, it's something I wasn't 
particularly aware of, there are many different types of, of blindness and people, mm. blind people ref, respond to light in different ways. And when, when blind people have some form of vision, one of the things that, that, that Matthew and Dominic said would really, really help them is that if both teams had distinct one block color shirts, so if, if if one team is wearing a red shirt and one team is wearing a white shirt, that does help a tiny bit for a lot of visually impaired fans, as it would help the colourblind community, of which, remember, there's 8% of people in a football crowd at any one time are, are, are colourblind. Uh, so again, all these new kits, which, of course, look lovely and snazzy, and they, they're in beautiful colours like teal and dragon's breath, but they're not they're not <laughs> helping anyone who hasn't got 2020 vision. And let's face it, most people in the football ground are, are, are getting towards our age rather than, you know, 10, 12. So a lot of people in the football ground haven't got 2020 vision full stop. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's being done to sell units. Yeah. Um, because the launch of a football kit is now, and you know, we're fully aware that for many clubs, there's three kits released each year. And then you've got three sets of training shirts released each year as well. It, it is a, uh, it, it's a, it is a money spinner. But the first, the, the first reason why we have players in different coloured shirts is to distinguish both teams. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that appears to become a secondary issue. Um, and it affects, uh, it affects not just colourblind people like me, but people in, you know, who have to deal with far greater challenges. Yeah, although I have to say, uh, Palace's new away kit is rather snazzy. Oh yeah, I, even 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 we were impressed. Yeah, and and it's good to, good to see the palace using yeah having a blue and white kit. Well, it's it's turquoise, Kieran. I think you'll find. Um, but it's also really annoyed some people on WhatsApp groups because it's uh, it's a white shirt with a turquoise slash uh, sash. Uh, but of course, Steve Parrish is selling it as it's it's a nod to the original colours of Crystal Palace FC, and most fans are going, no, no, our original colours are. A claret and blue. Never mind what the team that was formed in 1861 played in, but it's a homage apparently to the original Crystal Palace of 1861. Just sell it as white with a light blue sash, and you go, "Yes, yeah, a great kit." Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution, that'd be very kind of you. You can do so by going to Patreon.com/slash/PriceOfFootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at PriceOfFootball.com. Bye, everyone. Bye. The price of football. The price of football.